Hey, uh, I'm talking about being generous today and having a grateful heart. And the, the title of this message is The Generous Heart. Someone say generous. Uh, we just got through this series called Culture Clash. How many of you were here for any of the Culture Clash series? Uh, how many of you are also glad that we were done with the Culture Clash series? Come on, somebody. It just made everybody nervous the whole time. We're talking about abortion. We're talking about alcohol. Uh, uh, man, racism. Uh, LGBTQ, sexual sin. Yeah, it was great, but I'm glad to be done. We're going to talk about something else today. Uh, we're starting a new series called More Than Money. Okay, More Than Money. And uh, we're talking about finances. And I think this conversation actually might even in some ways be more important than in a lot of these other conversations that we had in this last series. Why? Because everybody needs money. Okay, right? Everybody has money. Everybody needs money. Okay. The Bible talks a lot about money, actually. And there's almost 2,000 verses that reference money in one way or the other. And I understand that, like, the second that the pastor's like, we're about to do a three-week series on money. You're like, well, I'm here for this one, but the next two I will not be, okay? Like, I get it, I get it. Uh, but, man, it's really, really important because, you know, right now inflation is crazy. Come on, somebody, say amen, right? Like, my wife can just drive into the Target parking lot and $147 just vanishes from our bank account. I don't know how it happens. She just looks at Target and it's like $240 gone. You know, I, I, I don't even understand how it happens, but uh, it affects your marriage. It really will. What's the number one cause of divorce? Money problems, money fights. It's massive, massive problem. It affects your mental health, affects your mental state when you're struggling in your finances. It really does. It can even affect your walk with God. Positively, negatively, can affect it in one of two ways. And so Jesus actually teaches on finances directly in a few of his parables. Some of them are more indirect, uh, but we don't like talking about money in church though. I get that, that's cool. And there's a few reasons why I think that is. First one maybe, uh, if I had to guess a few reasons, would be that you don't trust pastors or churches to handle money well. I get that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, maybe another reason is it seems like that all the pastors want to do is just get money out of you. Like they just want every Sunday, it's like a whole uh, mini sermon on money before they get to the real sermon, okay? And honestly, I don't really do that. Uh, a lot of times I don't even talk about uh, money. I don't even talk about giving. You'll notice sometimes I just completely am like, hey, let's not even talk about offering today. Why? Because we have a really generous church, so I don't even have to. So give it up for yourselves, guys, because you're a generous church. It's great. I love it. I love serving a generous church. And um, maybe you don't view the Bible as a source for best financial practices. You might view it as a spiritual guideline, a spiritual book of, of guidelines that will help you in that way, but maybe not as much in the practical ways of money and finances and things like that. Uh, another thing, maybe you don't believe that what the Bible says about tithing and about generosity and giving is relevant for today. And we'll talk about tithing in the next couple of weeks. There's a lot of confusion on giving and tithing. And are we supposed to do it in the New Testament? Are we not supposed to do it? Like, what does that look like? And so I'm going to just confront all these different confusions head on and hopefully give some clarity to the conversation on giving and generosity, you know, in our New Covenant and New Testament times. And uh, the last reason, I think this is the biggest reason why we don't like giving, though. I'm just going to be real. is because we want to hold on to all of our money, y'all. Like, like, we just talked about inflation. It's crazy right now. I get it. And when times get tough, the first thing you want to do is you pull back, right? That's just economics 101. Times get tough. You start pulling back. You start canceling the gym membership that you didn't even go to anyway, so you might as well, right? 
You're not going to buy stuff on Amazon as much anymore. You're not going to the stores to shop as much anymore. You start pulling back and you want to hold on to what's yours. Man, I worked hard for this money. I got to hold on to it. It's mine. And I think what that really shows me, and I think the biggest issue ultimately is that we're naturally just selfish people, right? Naturally, we just want to hold on to what's ours. Like I worked hard for this. I don't want to give it to anybody other than me, my wife, and my kids. And I get that. But I, I believe the Bible speaks really clearly on tithing and giving. We'll talk about that later. But what I, I really do understand, honestly, uh, that first thing is that why people wouldn't want to give to pastors, why people wouldn't want to give to churches and, and organizations like that. Um, I get it because all y'all have seen televangelists, right? I mean, maybe you've seen one on TV before. Or you've heard a story about one in the news or whatever. And the pastor's coming up to the church. He's like, you know, in our time of giving today, I just really feel like that the Lord has pressed upon my heart that I need a private jet and uh, I'd really love for you to give today to fund this uh, gospel advancing private jet, of course. And so uh, that's what we're giving toward today. And you see something like that. And you're like, really? Like, ah, do you really, come on, do you really need that? And you see that, you know, the pastor's living in this like giant mansion. Okay. And it's like, really? You know, like, and then you hear stories of misappropriation of funds, even in the church. And it's like, hey, this is not a good thing, what we're spending our money on. And it comes out and, and it comes out usually leaked documents or some kind of bad way. It's like, man, I get why we would have a general mistrust. And, and to be honest, uh, many of these same preachers will use this kind of language. Uh, you know, if you just give to the church, then God's gonna give back to you, right? Pressed down, shaken together and running over. He's gonna bless you and God wants you to be rich, right? Like you might've heard something like that before or at least pastors that kind of come across in this way, that if you give, that God will give back to you. If you give and you scratch his back, man, he's going to scratch yours too, and you're going to be blessed financially. But I do not preach give to get. I do not preach that. I, every single Sunday when I talk about giving in a short time that I usually do, I say we give because he gave. And why do I do that? Because I want to drill into you, and I want to drill into me that I do not preach so that I can get back something from him. But I give to God because of what he has already given me. And that is his son, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins and for yours. Amen? And so uh, the opposite of that is give to get. And that's called the prosperity gospel, that all you have to do is give to God and he's gonna give you riches or at least something back in return that you can expect this. And where do they get this from? It's from this verse, Luke 6, 38. And you've heard it, I already referenced it. And all of our verses will be here today. So you can either turn there in your Bible or on your phone or just kind of lean in right here today. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's the problem. Do you see anything in there about money? Did you hear anything in there about money? I did not, okay? So what is Luke 6.38 really about? Uh, when you're reading the Bible, a lot of times you gotta add the context, right? You gotta add the passage or the verse before, add the verse after, and that kind of helps you figure out what a verse is really about. So let's add Luke 6.37, and let's see if that changes how you view it a little bit. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, now let's go to the same passage, but it found in a different gospel. We're in Luke. Let's go over to Matthew. Matthew 7, 1 through 2 says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what does this sound like it's about? Is it about money and tithing, giving, finances? Or is it about judgment, condemnation, and forgiveness? It's about judgment, condemnation, and forgiveness. If you judge others harshly, you're going to be judged harshly. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven. The passage is used honestly to just deceive people in the church all the time. It's taken way out of context. And uh, if it says that basically if you give to God and you give to the church, that God will give you money. And that is just simply not what it says. It says, with the same measure of judgment that you give, you can expect it back to you. The same level of forgiveness that you offer to others, you can expect that back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So, there's this idea of sowing and reaping that is actually very biblical though. When you sow a seed, what do you expect to get out of it? A crop. If you go around and sow a bunch of seeds, you're not gonna be expecting a bunch of seeds to pop up, right? That would be kind of weird. It doesn't make any sense. So when you sow a seed, what you get back is not what you put in. If I sow uh, seeds and I'm trying to plant some corn, right? If I just had a bunch of seeds pop up, I'd be very disappointed. I want corn to pop up. Come on now. If I'm planting beans, I want beans to pop up, all right? Like, I don't want just a bunch more seeds. That doesn't do me any good. You always get back more than what you put in. That's just a principle of this universe that we live in. Um, let me just put it to you a little bit more plainly. Uh, if, I, if I was talking to a parent uh, in this place and they were saying, you know what, my, my kids, they just yell at me so much and they're so disrespectful and I just don't really understand what's going on. I can't figure it out. I'm over at their house and I'm trying to counsel maybe these parents and the dad's like, I just don't get it. The wives, I don't really know what to do anymore. And, and, uh, and then they, you hear the kids upstairs and they're kind of yelling. They're kind of being a little rowdy up there and the parent turns around, hey, would you keep it down up there? What is wrong with you? I just don't get why they're just yelling at me. I just don't, it doesn't make any sense, you know? It's like, well, yeah, dude, <laughs> come on. Like, cause what you have sown is yelling. What you will reap is yelling but you won't reap just yelling. You will reap more yelling and you will also reap a strained relationship with your child now. Because what you put in is not what you're gonna get back. You're gonna get more than what you put in, unfortunately. Uh, when you gossip about people at work, you don't just get gossip back. When, you got, when one person chooses to gossip, you know what happens? That thing starts to spread. Gossip just spreads all throughout the workplace. And then what happens is it becomes a toxic work environment. Everybody talking about each other. Everyone talking about each other behind each other's backs, saying mean things, spreading rumors, all this kind of stuff. You don't just get gossip back to you. The whole office becomes infected with this thing called gossip. And now you didn't just get gossip, but now you have a toxic work environment. Do you see the idea that what you sow, you reap? And there's this principle of multiplication. That when you put in, you're not just getting back what you put in, but you're getting something else. Does that make sense to everybody this morning? Come on. So when you sow into the kingdom of God, what can you expect? When you invest your life into the kingdom of God, you can expect the kingdom of God will be multiplied in your life. Come on, somebody say amen. You can expect to reap the kingdom of God, not just a little bit, but a multiplied measure of the kingdom of God in my life. When you invest into the kingdom of God, not just financially, but with your life, man, you can expect a multiplied measure back and there is always a good return on the investment into the kingdom of God. Some financial person right now just said amen. Come on, now there's always a good return on your investment. 
And this passage, okay, it's not directly about money. We understand this. But some of the principles do apply. You can apply the same concept to money in a sense. It is very likely that God will bless you when you give financially to your church, to others that are in need in your life. It is likely that God will do that. It's the idea of sowing and reaping. But here's the difference. Our giving should never be so that we can get back. That's not the point of it. Um, Have you ever had a friend that did something for you, but then it was very obvious the only reason that he did it for you is so that you would do something back for them? Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like they gave you something or they did something for you. Uh, like, you know, hey, can you do me a favor? And they're like, absolutely. But then they, they do the thing that you asked and then it's just very obvious that they're looking for like some kind of payment or they're looking for you to do something for them later. It's like, hey man, like, you know, this is a transactional thing here. Um, one time I got invited to a lunch. I was real excited to go to this lunch. There was a guy that I wanted to get to know I was very honored that he would invite me. I mean, I've been wanting to get to know this dude. I'm glad that we can go to this lunch. And, and we got about halfway through the conversation and it became very clear that the reason why I was invited to this lunch is because he wanted something out of me. And that's the only reason why I got invited to this lunch. How many of y'all asked something like that's ever happened to you before? I know that's happened to a few people. And, uh, how many know that right when I realized his true motives for inviting me to this lunch, I was no longer excited to be there? I didn't want to hang out with this dude anymore because I thought that you wanted to get to know me. I thought that you valued me and just wanted to, you know, hang out with me and get to know me in my life a little bit. Maybe we could become friends. And, you know, what do friends do? They give back and forth that it's a give and take relationship. That's what we do. But man, he did not value me. He just valued what I could potentially give him. That's all he cared about. And yet this is sometimes what we do with God, right? Sometimes we invite God to the table of our lives and our only intention is to get something from him, right? When times are tough and you really need God to show up and you need a miracle in your life and you know, somebody's sick in your life or you're really struggling, you're like, God, I need you. I need you to do something right now. Lord, please, would you show up immediately because I am so lost and I don't know what to do. But then when times are good, we're just like, you know what? I don't really need you anymore. And so we stop praying. We stop thanking God for the blessings. The very thing that he actually got you out of, now you don't even care about anymore. You don't even care about him because, well, he's already done the thing I needed him for. It's almost like we're using him in a sense. And that's how I felt at that lunch. And sometimes we do that to God as well with our finances. Like, hey, if I give to you, God, then I'm expecting you to give something back to me. How do you think God feels about that? God, I scratch your back. I'm expecting you to scratch mine. How do you think that God feels about that? I was no longer excited to be at this lunch and we're inviting God to the table of our lives. Man, he just wants a relationship with you. He cares. He wants to get to know you. He wants to to hang out with you and to be in your life and yet we just invite him when we need something. I don't think God really enjoys that. So you might be asking this question. I think a lot of people say, well, why does God need my money anyway? Like, does God need my money? Uh, Let me just say it plainly. God doesn't need money anything from you. He doesn't need your money at all. He doesn't need anything financially or materially that you could ever give him. Think about it. Do you really think that God needs your money to accomplish his work? Like this is the God that created the literal universe, okay? The Bible says that he has the cattle of a thousand hills. The gates are like made of pearl, you know? Anybody heard this, right? The streets of gold. Like you bring him a gold bar or something like that and he's like, hey, thank you for the asphalt. Like I appreciate that, you know? Like 
like, doesn't mean anything in a sense, right? Um, the angel comes up to God and he's like, you know what, Lord, uh, Father, I think we've overextended ourselves on Galaxy production this quarter and uh, we're gonna have to either cut back or, and I don't like this either, but we're gonna have to ask Jim for a little bit extra out of his salary for this month. And I, you know, Lord, I don't like it either, but it's the only way. It's the only option that we have, Lord. I'm so sorry. You seriously think that God needs your money and needs my money? No, he doesn't. He doesn't need your money. In fact, he wants your money. Hold on now. What? He, so he doesn't, he just wants it? Okay, so he doesn't need it. He's not like this loser guy that can't pay his bills. Now he's just this mafia boss that's trying to extort all of the humanity for all of our money and all we have. No, no, no. He doesn't want your money because he's greedy. He wants your money because he wants you. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you invest your life in, what you invest your finances in, what you invest your time in reveals the values that you carry. So if you invest your life into the kingdom of God, this is just one way that I can tell that somebody really loves God is when they start giving their time, their finances, their resources back to the kingdom of God. That's just one way that I can tell. He wants you. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't need it. God invented the idea of giving and generosity, not because of his greed, but because of yours, because of mine. Because inherently, what are we? We are selfish people, right? We're inherently selfish. We're greedy. We want what's ours. I work for this. I'm going to keep this. And this is who we are. And yet generosity and giving, what does it do? It is the best way to root out selfishness and greed within somebody. You know this to be true. Like when you give to somebody in need, when you give to your church, uh, we're having a miracle offering in three weeks where we're gonna just give and give and give to some great organizations, man. Every year when we have the miracle offering, it is always a great time. Everybody's feeling great. Everybody loves it. Why? Because we're giving to somebody that's in need. We're giving to advance the kingdom of God. And when you help a neighbor, when you volunteer at an event or something like that, man, you feel great. Why? Because you are actively rooting out selfishness and greed and you are becoming less like Satan and more like God. Amen? What do we know about God to be true? That God is generous and Satan is selfish. You want to remember this? The two G's and the two S's. God, generous, Satan, selfish. Very easy. And I'll put it to you like this. Selfishness is the enemy of generosity. Selfishness is the enemy of generosity. God knows that because of sin that we are inherently selfish. He knows that. And if we can learn to be generous with our time and our resources, we'll become more like God, less like Satan. And so there's a story in the Gospel of John that illustrates uh, the difference between a selfish heart and a generous heart. And I'm gonna read it to you real fast. John 12, if you wanna turn there, a little bit of a passage here, one through six. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So Lazarus, just been raised from the dead not too long ago. Now he's chilling with his feet up at the table, okay? Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, that little dude, what a jerk, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. 
But then he gives us a little context. Says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Mary takes this expensive perfume and dumps it all over Jesus' feet and starts wiping it with her hair, right? Judas is not happy. He's very upset about this. He wishes that the money would have been given to the poor, but we know he didn't really care about the poor. That's what it says. So why was Judas upset about this? Well, we're told that he was a thief and he would steal right out from the offering plate. You know how when you go to uh, Applebee's, okay, or wherever it might be that has mozzarella sticks as an appetizer, okay? You order some mozzarella sticks for the table uh, and you have all these mozzarella, and then you get down to the last one and then you have to make that difficult decision of, do I eat the last one or do I let them eat the last one? Like, how many, you're going back through your head, like, how many mozz sticks did I already eat? Like, did they have, there's seven. Did they eat four or three? Like, I don't really remember how many. Should we split the last one? Okay, listen, here's the deal. Judas is the dude would just eat it with no shame, right? Like, he wouldn't even care. He wouldn't even do the whole, like, oh, would you, would you want to, you want the last one? You want to split it or something like that? No, Judas would just pick up that last mozz stick. He's already eaten five out of seven. He don't even care. Dip that right in that marinara. That's mine. This is Judas. He is a selfish dude. He don't even care at all. So he wanted her to sell the perfume, donate the money, and then he would take the money right out of the offering bag. That's what he wanted to do. Let me put it to you this way. A selfish heart will destroy your life, but a grateful heart brings life. I'm gonna say it again. A selfish heart will destroy your life. A grateful heart brings life. Think about it. Who ends up betraying Jesus? Judas. Who ends up depressed in sin? and takes his own life and hangs himself in a field. Judas, where does Mary end up? In a really great spot with an abundant life, amazing. You see the difference in their lives. Judas let his selfish heart and his greediness destroy him from the inside out. It says he was basically overtaken by Satan. And I believe it was because of his greed and his selfishness and inability to think about somebody else is what did him in. Mary's the exact opposite. Why did she give such a generous gift? Well, what would cause somebody to pour out this expensive perfume on Jesus's feet? What do we know? Is it not long before this, Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. Who is Mary? Lazarus's sister. She was just grateful. She was so grateful. I mean, imagine if Jesus walked into the room, into the hospital, where the person that you love more than anybody else in your life has just passed away and Jesus physically walks into the room and says, you know what? I can take care of this. Whoa. Raises up that family member right from the dead. How do you think that you would react? I would be so stoked. I'd be like, oh my goodness, Jesus, thank you so much. I cannot, this is amazing, it's incredible. Like, I, I, I wanna give everything. How, I'll never be able to repay you for this. Like, how could I ever serve you? Man, I'll do anything for you for the rest of your life. Anything that you need, I got you, Jesus. Like, thank you so much. You gave me everything that I've ever lost. And how many of you know that we have lost our lives because of sin? And it was Jesus that came down and gave us back a right relationship with God because of what he did for us on the cross. Jesus has given you and me everything back that we have ever lost in our lives. And he did it on the cross, amen? Jesus gave Mary back everything that she had and she was just grateful. She was thankful. I'll put it to you this way. Generosity begins with gratitude. Somebody say gratitude. 
grateful people are just generous. Like nine times out of ten, maybe even ten, ten, ten times out of ten. The most grateful or the most generous people I know are the most grateful. If one of your family members was, was raised from the dead, you think you'd be grateful? I would. You think it changed the way that you gave to God? You think it changed your heart and make you more of a generous person, more of a thankful person? Man, thank you, God. I'll do anything for you. Like, she didn't give because she was selfish. Mary didn't give because she was trying to get something back from God. She gave because she was giving back to the man that gave her everything that she had, everything that she had lost in her brother Lazarus. She was so stoked. And so she just gave everything. This is why I don't preach give to get. I preach give because he gave. This is why I preach this message. I am generous to God because he was first generous to me by giving his son, Jesus. It's not about money. It's about understanding how much God paid to get you back. He emptied heaven for you. All of heaven's bank accounts, in a sense, were emptied when God gave his son, Jesus, for you and for me. And I just believe that we need an attitude of gratitude in the house of God. Come on, somebody say, I need an attitude. You need an attitude. What's wrong with you people? Goodness gracious. No, let's say it the right way. I need an attitude of gratitude. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Did you miss it? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave first before you have ever done anything for God. He has already done everything for you. For I ever gave my heart to Jesus. Jesus had already given his heart to me. It's beautiful. God gave everything for you. But then we come to him and we say, God, if I give you this 50, will you give me a 200? <laughs> that sounds ridiculous now, doesn't it, right? Like, we've been set free from sin and death, y'all. God has defeated death, hell, and the grave. We now get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. All my sin is thrown as far as the east is from the west. I am forgiven. I am free. I am healed in the name of Jesus. And all I can think about is my money and being selfish and stingy. That doesn't make any sense. And we should be grateful for all that God has done for us. That's why we say this heart posture. Thank you, God. We give because he gave. Like this is, this is how, I don't want to be selfish and stingy. I want to say something more like this. Thank you, God, that you gave me everything that I have. Everything that I have worked for and everything that I own, my car, my house, my, my, my kids, my, my wife, my husband, my whole life, everything. I'm so grateful that you've given this to me, that you've blessed me with this. None of it's mine. Everything I have is yours. Today I give because you gave. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. You see the difference in that heart posture there? That comes from a place of gratefulness, gratitude, thankfulness for what God has done. And that's why I preach, we give because he gave. Because when I understand what God has done, when I understand how much he gave, and I get the right perspective on all of this, it becomes so much easier to give. It really does. Why wouldn't I? Like, I'm not trying to just do the bare minimum. A lot of people argue on whether we should tithe or not, whether we should do 10%. I'm like, how can I do more? Can I do more? Please, I would love to. Can I be more generous? Can I give more to my church? Can there be other people that I can give to that are in need around me? I'm actively looking for opportunities to be generous in my life. And that's, that's how I feel like our heart posture should be. How else can I serve you? Who else can I bless so don't tell yourself the lie, and I think we tell ourselves this lie very often, is that one day, man, I'll be able to be generous. 
it'll be awesome. When I just get that new job, when I get this certain amount of money, man, I'll be able to be generous. I'll be able to give to my church. Man, it's gonna be great. I'll be able to give to others. I just can't do that right now. And if only I had a million dollars, then I could be generous, Lord. A million. No, okay, all right. Let me tell you, living a generous life doesn't start with a job change. It starts with a heart change. Doesn't start with the job change. It starts with the heart change. In fact, I would argue that until your heart changes, you might not even get the job change that you're looking for. You're praying for a new job. You're trying to do a career change. You're trying to get that promotion, go to the next level. And I think God sometimes is sitting there saying, man, you haven't even been faithful with the little I've given you. Why would I give you any more? Now that's a biblical concept. That when God gives you little and you're faithful with the little, he can trust you with more. He can trust you. So can God trust your heart? Can he trust you to be faithful with the little he's given you? Maybe with the lot that he's given you. And maybe he will be able to give you even more. Uh, This is shown in the story of the widow's offering in Luke 21. I'm gonna read this passage real quick. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than anybody else. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put all that she had to live on. Now, these two copper coins are basically the equivalent to two pennies or a few pennies. Uh, like we have to, I don't even have pennies anymore. Does anybody have pennies anymore? Barely, okay? They used to mean something. And now it feels like they barely mean anything anymore. Inflation. So this is what she puts in though. This is really all she has is what Jesus says. And notice that he's seeing all these wealthy individuals put in all these big gifts. And I'm putting in a thousand bucks. I'm putting in 5,000, 10,000. This guy put in $50,000 into the treasury. And then this woman comes and just brings a few little copper coins. And yet Jesus doesn't even think or talk about any of those people that put in all that big amount of money. Who does he choose to point out? The one that put in the smallest amount. Why? Because she gave sacrificially, gave everything that she had and gave it with a generous and grateful heart toward God. That's why he points her out. I think that some of the best gifts that we get are the least expensive, right? Christmas is coming up. We're in the season of gifts and giving. Sometimes it feels more like the season of stress and spending. Come on, somebody. But we are in the season of gift giving and all that stuff, generosity. And I, but yet at the end of the day, some of the best gifts that you've ever gotten in your life have been the ones that were the least expensive. Oakland, our son, he's five. He goes to a great Christian school now. And uh, he went to a Mother's Day out before that, and it was great. And, and every once in a while, he'll get home from school and he'll run into my office as fast as he can. He'll say, Daddy, look what I made for you. It's usually some kind of craft or drawing or something like that, and it's always terrible, okay? Terrible, absolutely awful. He did not stay in the lines like they instructed him to do. Not good at all. He doesn't know anything about color theory. I'm like, dude, like purple and and green do not go together. Like, come on, son, let's get with it. Like the Lamb of God looks like Barney. Okay, son, like there's something wrong with this. This does not look right. And, but he'll always do something on these sheets of paper that he brings home to me that just gets me every time. And he'll write a T, 
O and a heart. It's Trevor Oakland, love you. And it gets me every single time. Sometimes I'll add the L, T-O-L, heart for Lindsay. Tegan, I don't know where she's at. I guess she's just included in my T, I suppose. I don't really know how that works, but all right. But it gets me every single time when I see that T-O heart. You know, I don't need that drawing. Nothing about that drawing is helping my life in any way, really, materialistically. Like I'm not gaining income because of this drawing that my son has just given me. There's nothing really of of value that the drawing has. I can't sell it for anything. And yet it is the best gift that I could possibly receive from my son. And you better believe that thing is going on the fridge. Why? Because it wasn't about the gift. It was about the heart of the giver. It was about the generosity and the love that he had for me that said, dad, I don't really have anything that I can offer you. I can't pay for anything. He's got like $8 and quarters and pennies. (laughs) I can't pay for anything. I can't do anything for you necessarily, but, but dad, I made this for you. Do you like it? I'm like, son, I love it. I love everything about this. Let's put it on the fridge. Why? Because it was about his heart. Generosity does not require a big income. It just requires a grateful heart. My son is grateful for me. He wants to spend time with me. When my son invites me to the table to sit with him and eat lunch or dinner or eat breakfast with him, it's not because he wants anything from me. I mean, he might take some food off my plate if, he, if it was possible, but he just wants to hang out with me. He just loves me. He just wants to see me. And that's what God wants from us too, is just a grateful heart, understanding how much that he's done for us. And he wants to be invited to the table of your life, not just in your finances, but in every area. Invest in the kingdom of God so that the kingdom of God can be poured out of you, amen? And you can start your generosity journey today. It doesn't matter how much income you have. It doesn't matter how much debt you have. Everybody can start practicing generosity today. The key to unlocking generosity toward God is a grateful heart for God, right? This is what we're learning. So if you wanna be generous and you wanna be giving and, and maybe you're looking to God and say, Lord, I wanna be able to do more. Start with your heart. Don't start with the practical side where we always go to. Let me look at my finances. Let me look at my budget. Let me look at this. Ain't nothing wrong with that, but start with your heart because God looks at the heart more than anything else. So would you stand with me today? As we close, I just want to take a moment and have us all understand really what God did for us. The truth is, is that Jesus came down to this earth to die for you and for me. He put himself on that cross and he didn't have to. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God gave first. And that's why in the Bible it says, we love because he first loved us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? Like we all have sin in our lives. I have sin in my life. You have sin in your life. We don't make excuses for it, but it's just a fact that we all fall short and we need God's grace, his love and his mercy in our lives to change us from the inside out. And I'm so grateful for what God has done for me. And I hope today that there's somebody that would give their life to him and say, God, I'm so grateful that when I give my life to you, that you take my sin and you throw it as far as the east is from the west. 
there's somebody here today that needs to know that God loves you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose, a destiny for your life. And man, you've been trying to do this thing on your own. What is that? That's selfish, right? That's, that's that greed. It's like, man, this is my life. I'm gonna do with it what I want. No, man, give your life to God and he will take that and will multiply your life into something that you could have never asked, thought, or imagined. Amen? Would you bow your head with me today? There's somebody in here that just needs to get right with God and, and, and maybe you need to give your life over to him for the very first time. Like, man, I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never given my life to God. Let me encourage you today. Jesus came down to this earth. He died for your sins and for mine. And then he was raised again on the third day. And it's because he was raised again that we can now have a relationship with God the Father in heaven. And God sent his Holy Spirit down to convict your heart and to convict my heart, to draw us back to God. And man, let me tell you, the reason you're here today is because God wants a relationship with you. And so maybe there's somebody here, you've been trying life your own way and you wanna say, I want a generous and grateful heart. Man, I wanna start with that. And I want you to start with that too. So if you know that's you and you wanna get right with God, maybe for the first time, or maybe you wanna rededicate your life to him today. Man, I've been going far away from him. I need to get in a better place with God. I have not been serving him. If that's you, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. I wanna see your hand. Just look up at me. I see you right here. Absolutely, I see you. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am, I see you. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Look right up at me. I wanna see you. I wanna know who I'm praying with today. We got two people so far getting right with God. My man, yes, sir, I see you. My man, yes, ma'am, in the back. I see you can put your hands down. Thank you. Anybody else? I wanna see you first before you put your hand down. Yes, I see you, absolutely. Come on, anybody else? Let me see you. My man, yes, you're good. Come on. I counted seven people saying yes to Jesus. Can we give God praise for just a second? That's amazing, come on. God is good. Hey, I wanna pray with all of you uh, and then we'll talk about one more thing and we'll get out of here. But let me pray with those of you that are saying yes to Jesus. Come on, all together. I just wanna bless you. Father, thank you for those that are giving their lives and hearts to you for the first time that are saying, God, I'm grateful for your son, Jesus. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. And I'm gonna give my life now back to you because my life is not my own. My life comes from you. Every breath I take, every step I take, everything I do, everything I have, it all belongs to you. And God, I put you first. I thank you that you've saved me, that you've healed me, that you've delivered me. God, would you make me into a new creation today, right here, right now. God, that's the prayer of at least seven people in this place today. And Lord, I pray that you would seal this word in our hearts, that you would help them on their journey to become more like you today. And with everyone, just uh, look up at me real quick. I just want to ask, man, maybe you've never been generous before and you're giving not even just to a church, but just in general, okay? Like we can talk about tithing and giving to the church in the next couple of weeks. But like, I'm talking about just being generous in general, okay? Just volunteering for something and not complaining, okay? Like giving your time, your resources or, or going to help somebody with something when they need help or you just wanna be a generous person and you know that you've been selfish or stingy or whatever, but man, just all across the room, just say, you know what, Pastor? I want to be a generous person. Why? Because I believe that Jesus gave everything he had for me. 
I wanna have a grateful heart. I wanna give back to the world around me. And I just wanna become generous. If that's you, that's me. Would you just raise your hand all across this place? I wanna be generous. I wanna give my life and my time, my resources to advance the kingdom of God in this world, amen? Like that's me. And I wanna pray for everybody that's making that uh, statement today before God. Would you just everybody lift your hands in this place? Father God, I thank you that we are all here today because of you. We all are right now saying, God, I need you. I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for you. And I'm gonna give back to you. Help us all to be generous, God. Give us a generous heart and let it start because of how much we are thankful for what you have done for us. We can never repay you. We can never thank you enough for the grace of God. And yet here we are, we're saying, thank you, God. Help me to live my life, not for myself, but for you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey guys, uh, you can have a seat for just a moment. I wanna tell you about one more thing before we leave. We're having a miracle offering in three weeks, okay? And I want you to consider how you would be able to give. We give to many different organizations. We give to many different local, regional, and global organizations. And let me tell you right now, uh, one of them that we're giving to is our Kenya missions trip. We're gonna try to help the people that are going on the missions trip to help them be able to go. But I also want them to be able to take an offering with them and hand it to the missionaries themselves. How cool would that be? That'd be awesome, right? We'll be able to get to see your giving literally handed over to a missionary. Oh, it's gonna be so cool. One of the other things, I don't know if you noticed, but I mean, this service is pretty full and we've had to go to three services already at our new building. We just opened this building in April, okay? And our church has more than doubled since then. And so we can't stay here much longer, okay? And I, I think that some of you have figured that out already. So we're already looking to the next thing. We're already looking to what God would have us to do next, looking for land that we can call our own, that we can build a home for Radical Church for generation after generation. That's one and just two of the things that we're gonna be giving to for our miracle offering coming up in a few weeks. So I would just have you ask, God, what can I do? How can I be a part? Maybe I'm like the widow with just a few mites, or maybe I'm, I'm like somebody that actually can give a whole lot. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. What matters is, God, what are you asking me to do? How can I give? How can I be a part? I think the greatest way to show our thankfulness and gratefulness toward God is by remembering his son, Jesus, and what he did for us on the cross, amen? So quickly, would you take the, the cup that was next to you? And actually, can I have one? Thank you, Michelle. You'd think I'd figure this out and bring one with me. Thank you. We remember Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And I, I wanna read this to you, Matthew 26. It says this, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat for this is my body. We remember Jesus in his body and his blood because of what he did for us on the cross. Listen, you deserve to be on the cross. I deserve to be on the cross. And yet Jesus put himself up there. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that. He gave himself. So for about 10 to 15 seconds, man, would you just pray on your own and I'll pray along with you and thank God for his body, Jesus thank you that you came to this earth and put on flesh, that you made yourself a lowly servant. You said, I came to serve, not to be served. 
And you showed us what it was like to offer up your body as a living sacrifice, to offer up yourself for us, even though we didn't deserve it. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross for me, for everyone here and for everyone in the whole world. God, we thank you for your body. Go ahead and take the bread. You may open the cup now. He took a cup of wine, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. Pour it out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Listen, the Old Testament way that they did things, it was all about the blood and the sacrifice and this is what made them right with God. But man, Jesus changed the game. He came and gave himself up on the cross and he said, I will take my blood in my own body and pour it out for every single person in this world. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing that, right? And this is what we believe. Now this is just grape juice, y'all, but it represents something so much bigger. It represents the blood of our Savior that was poured out for you and for me. So for another 10 to 15 seconds, can we thank God for Jesus' blood. Thank you, Lord. We are grateful. We're thankful. That it is the blood of Jesus that washes me clean, makes me white as snow, that takes my sin and throws it away as far as the east is from the west. God, I'm so grateful for you and what you have done by sending your son, Jesus. And Jesus, you gave yourself up and you sacrificed yourself for me and for all of us here. For that, we are forever grateful and thankful. Help us to be generous. Help us have a heart that wants to give. Why? Because you gave every single bit of yourself for us. In Jesus' name, you take the cup. Come on, if you're grateful for what God has done in your life, can you just give him praise for just a few moments? Give him thanks. God, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. So grateful, so grateful. Man, I hope that you'll find some ways to get generous this week, to give to somebody that's in need, to get involved somewhere, maybe at the church. And man, just pray and ask God what he'd have you do in a few weeks. Man, so grateful for each and every one of you. We'll see you next week. God bless.